You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Three of, of chapter 14, the next chapter. So if uh, it's on the screen, but if you want to follow it through in the, in the church Bibles, we're at page 283. Uh, Saul and his son Jonathan, the men with them, were staying in Gibeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Oprah in the vicinity of Shul, other towards Beth Horon, and the third towards the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plough points, mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plough points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armour-bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom were Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ayatub, son of Pehenas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armour-bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that is in your mind, his armour-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with, with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come on. Come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we, have co- we, we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armour-bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armour bearer, Come up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armour bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armour bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armour bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gabir and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armour-bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. 
Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Morning, everyone. I wonder, when have you benefited from someone else's success? When have you benefited from someone else's success? Let me take you back to 2012. It was the Champions League final. I've not had a football illustration for a while, uh, so you can give me this one. Chelsea were playing Bayern Munich at Bayern Munich's home stadium in the final. Chelsea were massive underdogs as their leader and captain, John Terry, was suspended from the game. And despite Bayern's dominance of the game, uh, Chelsea would hang on for a draw, take him to penalties and eventually, remarkably, win 4-3. Now the final isn't remembered for the Chelsea goalkeeper, Petr Cech, who made two saves. It's not remembered for Didier Drogba, who scored the winning penalty. No, the final is remembered as the John Terry final. What, you may say? John Terry wasn't playing. Good listening, well done. You are correct. But that didn't stop Mr John Terry after the final whistle went, taking off his suit and putting his full Chelsea kit on, including shin pads and football boots. He then climbed the winning podium and lifted the trophy with the captain for the day, Frank Lampard. Now, what was going on? Well, you see, John Terry was benefiting from the team's victory. John Terry had played no minutes in the final. He could not point to anything he had done to win the game. He'd made no contribution during the game. Yet, despite John Terry doing nothing to achieve the win... Terry was able to say that his team's victory was his victory. That what was true for those on the pitch was also true for him, a spectator. Their victory became his victory. Terry benefited from their success. And that's not all. John Terry also appeared in other places as well. He played, um, he was apparently there when the moon landed, he was also there for the royal wedding. And when Obama got elected, John Terry turned up in those places too. So he gets about a bit, John Terry, really does. Now, just take that off, but you get too distracted. Um, now, this benefiting from someone else's success happens all the time. It might be that someone in your family achieves something and the rest of the family go out for a meal. It may be that someone invents a vaccine and millions benefit from that. It may be that someone gets a promotion at work, increases their giving at Emmanuel Community Church, and we start getting Marks and Spencer coffee. Everyone benefits sometimes. But we also know the reverse is true as well. That sometimes we're hindered by the failures of others. And our young people who are there today, you know this better than anyone. Let me give you the scenario. You're just about to go out for break. And then that person does that thing and everyone has to stay in for five minutes. And you know, don't you? You have nothing to do with it. But because of their failure, your break time has been hindered. 
Now, why am I going on about this? Well, as Marcus read the passage this morning, hopefully you saw Israel benefited from someone else's success. And what makes this success even more remarkable was the hopeless situation Israel found itself in. So Israel's in a hopeless situation and its leader, King Saul, is operating out of fear. But as we read, it's not all doom and gloom as we see Saul's son Jonathan show us what life by faith looks like. So this morning we're going to see three things. We're going to see the hopelessness of the situation, responding with fear or with faith, and benefiting from someone the success of someone else. Let's pray and then we'll look a bit more at this passage. Gracious God, we need your help to both speak, listen, understand, believe and obey your word. And so this we seek in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, the hopelessness of the situation. If you were here last week then I think we had a little bit of sympathy for Saul. We said time and time last week that sometimes obeying God is neither simple nor straightforward. And we said Saul, he was facing this massive Philistine army. They are advancing on him. They are trying to seek revenge because Jonathan has has battered a few people on an outpost. Saul's own army, it's either hiding, it's leaving him, or those who are with him are petrified. Remember the prophet priest Samuel's giving them clear instructions. When you get to Gilgal, do not offer the sacrifices because I'm going to do it. On top of that, Saul's got all this mounting pressure. And then what does he do? He offers the sacrifices himself. And then lo and behold, if by magic, Samuel appears... And he tells him that his kingdom has been taken away from him. And it's going to be given to someone who has a heart like God, which we know is David. So here's Saul and his 600 men. They are facing this advancing army. And we're asked this question, can this situation get any more hopeless? Right, well let's read chapter 13, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. So can the situation get any more hopeless? Verse 16. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men who were with them staying in Gebar in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Orpha in the vicinity of Shual, another towards Beth Horon and a third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zippormi facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to pass at Michmash. So can this situation get any more hopeless for the people of Israel? Well, we have to say a resounding yes, don't we? 
There are no blacksmiths in Israel. The only blacksmiths are Philistines. So this is a double insult, isn't it? Firstly, it means that no Israelites can get any weapons because no Israelites can make weapons. And secondly, the the Philistines are charging vast amounts of money to the Israelites just so they can have their farming tools sharpened. So in summary, a large, vicious, avenging army is coming upon Israel. Israel has no weapons except for two people. Saul and Jonathan. I think we could call this a hopeless situation if there ever was one. It's a little bit like trying to eat a bowl of tomato soup with a fork. It's like trying to do any maths without a calculator. Or it's like trying to use a computer which has Windows XP. (laughs) A mental note, computer jokes go down well. Okay. Strange bunch. Anyway, so we could say they are hopeless situations. But seriously, we know, don't we, that life has a habit of throwing us our own hopeless situations. Whether it's that diagnosis from the hospital, whether it's that depression that leaves you unable to get out of bed, whether it's that addiction that is destroying you, Whether it's that adult child who's going off on their own path and there's nothing you can do. The job that you feel chained to because it's unfulfilling but you've got bills to pay. That relationship that's been lukewarm for years and shows no signs of improving. The bullies who who never stop teasing you in school. The loved one who you don't witness to because they're not interested in the gospel. We all face hopeless situations. And maybe you're here this morning and you're facing your own hopeless situation. Friends, we know, don't we, that the Bible doesn't give us a pass as Christians to avoid hopeless situations. Rather, we know, don't we, that when we face these hopeless situations, a lot of the time it reveals what is at the core of our heart. Are we operating out of fear or are we operating out of faith? So that takes us to point number two, responding with faith or with fear. Now, Jonathan is introduced to us in chapter 13, verse 2. But it's not until verse 16 that we learn that he is Saul's son. And by this point, we know that Jonathan is not going to inherit the kingdom that Saul has. And this is the irony. There's lots of irony in this passage. But the irony is this, that Jonathan shows us the faith that Saul should have had. A faith befitting for God's king. And as we look at Saul and Jonathan, we're going to see a contrast between how they both respond to the same hopeless situation. Saul is going to respond with fear. Jonathan is going to respond with faith. But before we get to the next part of the passage, we have to just remind ourselves what happened last week. Because what happened last week has already demonstrated to us that Saul is operating out of fear. Because remember what happens last week, it's out of fear of the Philistines advancing that Saul disobeys God's word. Saul's lack of faith in God's power, in his goodness, in his timing, 
means that he takes matters into his own hands rather than trusting and obeying God. And that's the same for us, isn't it? In our hopeless situations, we often try and sort the issue out, even if it means disobeying God's word. So that lukewarm relationship can be tolerated because we're getting our thrills online. That bully in school can be stopped with a quick left-right combination instead of trusting God to help us and guide us. Fear can lead to disobedience. But let's read chapter 14, the first seven verses, just to see more of this contrast between Jonathan and Saul. So verse 1 says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armour-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He wouldn't be the first young adult who didn't tell the parents what they were doing. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibar under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Asia, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Atabub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, which means slippery, and the other was called Senar, which means thorny. Not great mountains <laughs> names, are they? At one cliff stood towards the north, towards Michmash, the other toward the south, towards Gibar. Jonathan said to his young armour-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. So there's a difference between the people of the covenant of God and those who aren't. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armour bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. So let's just keep with Saul for a little bit and see what happens. The first thing we can notice is fear leads to inactivity. In verse 2, the where it says Saul was staying, that word staying can be translated sitting. So you get this idea that Saul with his men is sitting under this pomegranate tree, maybe enjoying a cappuccino, having a chit-chat, okay? He's just not doing anything. He's inactive. With Jonathan, on the other hand, if you look at verse 1, he's not content just to sit round and wait for these Philistines to come on him. Look what he says in verse 1. Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost. Jonathan wants to do something about it. And again, in our hopelessness, fear can lead to inactivity. We think the addiction is too strong, so we throw our hands up and say there's nothing we can do about it. The depression is too debilitating, so we can't get out of bed. We think the person will never become a Christian, so we don't share the gospel with them. Whatever the hopelessness is we face, the enemy wants us to believe that there's nothing that can be done. But we know, don't we, that that's a lie. We can get the Bible open. We can listen to it. We can get someone to read it to us. We can phone someone. We can go for a walk. We can go to a recovery group. We can come to church. Friends, do not let fear paralyze you. 
It may be that all you can do is a little baby step. But whatever that little step is, it's you saying, I'm not going to let fear paralyze me. Because we know, don't we, that fear often leads to inactivity. But that's not all we see with Saul. Look who Saul's hanging out with. Now we might have thought, oh, this is great. Saul's hanging out with a priest. This guy's got an ephod. But again, the narrator is very clear in wanting to see who this guy is. This guy is the son of Ichabod. Are you okay? Just have a little drink. That's it. Is the son of Ichabod. Do you remember who Ichabod was? Ichabod's name means the glory has gone. So he's hanging about with this guy who's related to Ichabod. Ichabod was the son of Phineas. Phineas was the son of Eli. This is not a good group of people Saul can be hanging out with. And again, it's ironic that as Saul's glory is gone, his own glory is gone, we're reminded that he's hanging out with people whose names are glory gone. But again, as a contrast, Jonathan doesn't have an ephod wearer with him. He has an armor bearer. Now this is really important because armor bearers were super loyal people. They would go with you into the battle and they would even die with you. Now just as a little aside, there's that well-known phrase, isn't it? Birds of a feather flock together. And it has some merit, you see. Because those people that you draw around you, those people I draw around me, they say something about us. You see, if you draw around yourself a bunch of rascals, or a bunch of complainers, or a bunch of critical people, or a bunch of fearful people then there's a chance that you can become like them. You see, when you're faced with those hopeless situations, you need to know if you've got people around you who are willing to join the battle and die with you. What does the armour bearer say in verse 7? I am with you, heart and soul. Do you have people in your life who say the same? Whatever you're going through, they would say to you, I am with you, heart and soul. If you have those people in your life, keep them close to you. Because we know the fear often leads us to the wrong type of people. And then finally, fear reveals where our hearts are. Now I've skipped down a little bit to verse 19 here, but I'll just tell you what happens. Verse 19, we're reminded that the ark of God is with Saul. And again, uh, alarms should be going off in our head, because we've seen this happen before in chapter 4. The people of Israel, instead of trusting in God, trusted in the things of God. They brought the ark in. They thought the ark was like this magic uh, lantern that you rub it hard enough and it'll just do what what you want. And it gets captured, doesn't it? Saul is relying on the ark of God. And as he does, it's revealing that actually in his heart, he's looking to make his own solutions rather than trusting in God. Instead of allowing God to be at work, instead of trusting God to do what he's going to do, Saul takes it upon himself and tries to some way manipulate God. And you can't manipulate God, we know that. 
But as it's contrast again, just look at verse 6. Verse 6 is again one of those key verses. Look at how faith, look at what, what does faith look like when, we, when we're faced with hopelessness. Look at verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So what is faith? Faith is trusting in the power and the perhaps of God. So faith is trusting in the power and the perhaps of God. What do I mean? Well, Jonathan is expressing a conviction that is basic to all true faith in God. And it's this, that God is of infinite power. You see it all through the Bible. Is anything too hard for you, Lord? Genesis 18. I know that you can do all things. Job 42. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32. Nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 1. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19. And of course, the Lord Jesus. Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. You see, Jonathan has faith that God can save Israel with many or by few. And he gets this, doesn't he? Because God has already done it. In chapter 5, God defeated Dagon. In chapter 7, God defeated the Philistine army with no help from anyone else. So faith in God is trusting that God is powerful to save us from the hopeless situations we face. So did you hear that friends? Faith is believing that God is powerful to save you from the hopeless situations you face. However, faith in God, it knows that God is of infinite power. And here's the key. Faith in God does not presume on that power. And Jonathan demonstrates this here with the word perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. You see, perhaps is used throughout Scripture to show that whilst we believe in the power of God, faith also trusts in the plans of God. And faith submits to the will of God, believing that what He will do is always right and good and wise. So again, if the doctor comes with the diagnosis, we pray for God to heal, but we submit to God's will. If the adult children are making bad choices, we, we pray that God will intervene, but we submit to God's will. If the job is making us unhappy, we pray to God to change, but we submit to God's will. You see, in the face of hopelessness, faith is to trust in the power and the perhaps of God. Not in our power and not in our plans. So you see, in Saul and Jonathan, we've got this contrast, haven't we, between how to respond to hopeless situations. So with Saul, his fear led to disobedience, inactivity, 
hanging around with the wrong crowd and trying to do things in his own power. Well, as a contrast, Jonathan's faith led to obedience, activity, loyal friends and trusting in the power and plans of God. I wonder, as we look at Saul and Jonathan, which one do you identify with most? Are you more like Saul? Or are you more like Jonathan? If you are more like Saul, how do we have more faith like Jonathan? How do we move from fear to faith? Well, that's going to take us to our last point benefiting from the success of someone else now what we're going to do we're going to read the rest of chapter 14 and then i'm going to draw things to a close so we're nearly there we're nearly there let's pick it up in verse 8 jonathan said come on then we'll cross over toward them and let them see us if they say to us wait there until we come to you we will stay where we are and not go up to them But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So what's Jonathan doing? He's asking for guidance, isn't he? He's trying to work out what the perhaps is. Interestingly, and keep a little note of this for later, what's Jonathan doing? He has to descend one mountain to ascend another mountain. Descend to ascend. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are climbing out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Those men like that. Imagine Andy Brown saying something like that, can you? I'll teach you a lesson. Sorry, so it's just you were there in my eye line. So the Philistines are full of bravado, aren't they? They're mocking the Israelites for hiding. That's what they would do in chapter 13, verse 6. But not only that, when they come up, we're going to get you. So come over here, we'll give you a good hiding. Little do they know that their fight is going to be with someone more powerful. Let's read on. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field. And those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was panic sent by God. God has given a sign here to Jonathan that he's going to save by the few. Who are the few? Well, Jonathan and his armor bearer. God is now causing the ground to shake. And God is sending panic which consumes the whole Philistine army. Let's read on. 16. Saul's lookout at Gibar and Benjamin saw the army melting in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. 
When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor-bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, this is interesting, withdraw your hand. Actually, we don't need you. Look, it's going on without you, so back away. Then Saul and all his men assembled, went into the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And again, what another irony this is, that the lack of swords in Israel, it didn't matter, because the Lord was setting the swords of the Philistines against one another. Any Lord of the Rings, the last one with the orgs turning against each other, killing each other, comes to mind. And some of you are looking blankly, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, verse 21. Those Hebrews had been, who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who'd hidden in the country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. And the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Isn't that amazing? So those who were hiding in the mountains, those who were deserted and actually gone off to the Philistines, those who were filled with fear have been transformed. How? Well, because the Lord, through Jonathan, had saved, and now they were all filled with courage. Even without weapons, those once fearful Israelites are in hot pursuit of the Philistines. They were changed by the success of someone else. Now we know, don't we, here at ECC, that all of the Bible points to Jesus. So whilst we're not belittling what Jonathan did, Jonathan showed great faith. He displayed great courage. He achieved a great victory. But he pales into insignificance when we think about the Lord Jesus and what he has done. And friends, if the people of Israel were transformed through Jonathan's victory, how much more should we be transformed through Jesus' victory for us? You see, Jonathan showed great faith in the power and the perhaps of God. But Jesus showed more. The night before his death, When knowing that he would face the wrath of God for our sins, Jesus said, and we quoted this earlier, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. See, what's Jesus doing there? He's saying he's got faith in God's power to work mightily. But you know that's not all the sentence, don't you? Because what else does he say? Yet, not what I will, but you will. So Jesus had faith that whatever God willed, whatever God's plans were, would be good and wise. And Jesus would submit to whatever the Father thought was best, even if it meant an excruciating death for us. You see, Jonathan would achieve victory by descending and ascending. The Lord Jesus achieves victory by descending from the glory of heaven to this earth. Descending even further as he goes to the grave. And then three days later he starts his ascension. 
out of the grave, 40 days later, back up to heaven, where he's now reigning as our living saviour and eternal king. Jonathan won a victory over the scary Philistines. Jesus Christ has won a victory over sin, Satan and death. Friends, as the Philistines were transformed by the Lord's victory through Jonathan, they had the courage to run. So we too have the courage to run after our champion, Jesus. No longer are we consumed by fear because our champion, Jesus, has defeated our great enemy, death. Wherever we go, whatever hopeless situations we face, We have faith in Jesus. Faith knowing that he has taken us to our true home, heaven. No diagnosis, no illness, no lukewarm relationship, no addiction, no wayward children, no reluctant witnessing, no bullies, no boring job can ever stop us reaching heaven. Because the one we have faith in The one whose power and perhaps we are trusting him has already won the victory for us. And like John Terry, we've got to finish with John Terry. Like John Terry did nothing to win the game. He was just a spectator benefiting from the success of others. We have done nothing to achieve this victory over death. Rather, we benefit eternal life because Jesus has paid the penalty and saved us from our sins and rose from death to give us eternal life. Now, over the last few weeks, let me just finish with this. I've met a guy from the area who has been recently diagnosed with throat cancer. He's not sleeping. He's, his eyes are red. He's, you know, he's just he's anxious. He's full of fear. He's fearful for the operation that's going to take place on Tuesday. He's not a Christian. I would ask you to be praying for him. Pray that God would fill his soul with faith. That he would save his soul. That he would come to trust in Christ. That he would have faith in the one who died for him. Who rose again and has already won victory over death. And friends, as that sinks into our hearts, may we faithfully follow the Lord Jesus. May we run after our champion, knowing that we have benefited from someone else's success. Let me pray. Father God, we to think about all the ways that we benefit from Jesus' death and resurrection, we would be here for eternity. But we are thankful that we get eternity to celebrate those things with you. In the meantime, Father, as we face the hopelessness of our own lives and the world around us, let us do it with courage, with faith, because we follow the one who has already won the victory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.